0: Welcome to week three of Swipe Right, the series. We're talking about the life and death power of sex and romance. And we want to greet every single one of you at Fresh Life Church and at every other church joining in, those on the internet, watching on the archive. We're so glad to have you with us. Uh, I read a story a while back about a man, and he was in a car accident He was driving a Ford Thunderbird down the road, and he had bald tires. The year was 1963, and that was the model of the car. And he hydroplaned on some slick pavement and ended up crashing tragically into a semi. And uh, it was such a devastating accident. I mean, you can see photos in the story that I read of the, the scene. It just was absolutely just, the, the car was just demolished. It looked like there's no way anybody could survive that. In fact, that's what uh, began to be reported on the news, that this was, in fact, a fatality, that the driver of the T-Bird had been killed, uh, but he hadn't. Uh, he had sustained massive wounds, of course, as you would in, in that situation. Uh, they actually removed 50 different pieces of glass that had been embedded in his body. Uh, he uh, broke four or five ribs, uh, broke his hip in multiple places, and just was a mess. But fortunately, due to those uh, just working so hard as they did in the hospital, uh, he, he managed to pull through. Um, he spent eight weeks in a body cast and uh, made a full recovery um, and went on in life. You know, years passed, eventually decades passed, and this would be a. For sure, a painful memory, but something he looked back on as just the distant past that he had he had faced. Until one day, entering a, a courthouse, he had to pass through a metal detector, and the metal detector went off, which was crazy because there was no metal on his body. And so, you know, of course, you, you, as you do, the belt eventually has to come off. And the guy, no matter what he did and how how little he had on his person. He was beeping, and, uh, and, and, and I, I, I imagine the, the wanding finally was what tipped them off because his arm began to beep with the wand over it, uh, which caused uh, further looking into this whole thing to, to go down, and eventually uh, they found in surgery a seven-inch long piece of metal rod inside the man's forearm. And this was news to him and news to everybody. Um, They did some digging, found out the uh, the, the seven-inch long piece of metal was, interestingly enough, the turn signal lever for a 1963 Ford Thunderbird. So if you can believe it, this is a true story. What happened is, in the accident, the man somehow drove this piece of metal into his arm where it snapped off of the car in the collision. And because there were so many wounds on his person, they just assumed that this was, this was caused by all the glass and all of the debris from the accident. But his body healed over this piece of metal, and it stayed inside of him for 51 oh. years. Wow. 51 years until it was removed, and when I saw the interview with this man, he was holding the the, the turn signal uh, lever, and he was saying that he's considering making a keychain out of it. <laughs> Point is, long after an impact is over, there can still be shrapnel wow. that remains. And as we now move into the third of five talks based on this book. Uh, the Life and Death Power of Sex and Romance, Swipe Right. We've taken just five of the kind of big ideas. It's impossible for us to cover the whole book in the series. So we're not even going to try. We're just taking some of the big ideas from the book and, and, and trying to digest them in this series. Uh, I'm calling this message, The Things We Carry the things we carry. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just one little verse we're going to start with here, and we'll get a few more uh, scriptures in by the time this talk is over. But we're talking about the things we carry. Uh, Now, you should know uh, 1 Corinthians, it was one of two letters that Paul the Apostle wrote to a group of Christians that came to salvation Under his pastoral ministry, under his preaching ministry, I I, I way overcomplicated that. One day, he told them, "Yo, Jesus died for you. If you believe in Him, you could be set free." And these people were like, "Yay, us!" and got saved. So, like, that's what went down. Like, saved under his pastoral ministry. I just sometimes you hate how pastors talk, and I I, I do actually, because we overcomplicate stuff, and and it should be simple. Here, here's people who were like empty, guilty, scared to die. And this guy shows up one day and tells him, hey, there's somebody who loves you so much. He died for you. His name's God. His son's name is Jesus. He died in your place. And these are people who are like, I want that, that you're talking about. How can I get me some of that? And He's like, check it out. Believe, receive, yep. and they got saved, wow. and uh, so that would happen. But Paul was just a pioneer. Paul, Paul couldn't ever say still too long because he would just he was happy with those he, he was preaching to that they got saved. But he started to think, man, what about people over there? What about people in over there? What about what about Asia? What about Europe? How how got to get me some of that Rome? So he would just move on and keep preaching, and that's just like how his heart was. Why? Because he had the heart of God, and God's desire is to see more people come to know Jesus, more people saved, more people yeah. who are stranded yeah. in sin yeah. to find life and liberty in Christ. So, so Paul would just keep going. But he also cared about the people who were saved. And you know, church isn't just for lost. It also should be something where the found can receive something. And so Paul knew that they're, they're, they should be growing. And so he did his best to encourage churches and people and help them grow in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And so he would write these letters back. And he did it twice for the Corinthians. And uh, we're in the first one. And they call it First Corinthians. That's how we got the name of the the book. And um, you should know a little bit about Corinth. Corinth was a messed up place. I mean, it was a swanky place, right? Corinth. is kind of like New York during Fashion Week, crossed with Cancun during Spring Break, with like a side of Coachella and New, you know, Las Vegas Strip thrown in, just like as an appetizer. Like it was a a crazy, crazy place. And these these people that he's writing to, they're believers in Jesus, but they got they got saved in the midst of this wild life that they were living, where it was very normal to to you know to participate in wild orgies and pagan rituals. And it was just a a crazy, crazy lifestyle. And he wrote this in part that we're reading to encourage them uh, to, to honor God with this gift of sexuality. He wrote them in part to talk to them about the life and death power of sex and romance and, and how to make sense. I mean, and the stuff he had to tell them, that we would say, well, that's that's common sense, right? That he's like, he's like, hey, you should probably not have sex with prostitutes. And they're like, don't have sex with prostitutes. Gosh, I never thought of that. That's, I had a sex with a prostitute before church today. Like, I just that never occurred to me, right? And, and Paul's helping them uh, to understand the implications of these different things. But, but, but what should basically, uh, for maybe a religious person, be causing uh, the, the house of cards that religion built to be crumpling down to the table in your mind is that he's writing this, this, this kind of stuff, quit having sex with prostitutes, to people who, by his own admission, are Christians. They're believers, which sort of turns on its head this notion that, 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 that being saved is something that happens once you learn to behave. If you can be good enough, you can please God. No, these people—they already have the whole kit and caboodle when it comes to salvation. They've received grace. They're headed to heaven. They're sons and daughters of the kings. Of the king, their their, their names are written in heavenly places. They have been given the Spirit, but their lives are an absolute train wreck, especially when it comes to sexuality. So, so what does that mean? That means it's possible to be a believer, but to be a hot mess when it comes to God's best for your life. And we always have to understand what Paul understood, and that's that God always cleans his fish after he catches them. And you never have to behave to get saved. You believe, receive salvation. Then you learn by grace to walk that salvation out. And it's a process. And it's a journey. But it never is a thing where how God looks at you is attached to your behavior day to day, good day, bad day. He looks at you the same, always, only, sees Jesus, God's Son, who has covered your sins. So there's such a difference, and there's a world of difference between walking out of a relationship where God already sees you as perfect because of Jesus, and walking that out, learning to make wise choices, and and feeling like, well, I need to get my sex life, and get this part of my life, and get this part of my life in the right line, so God will be pleased with me. He already is, will never stop being because of his son. Right. But, but your best and enjoyment of all he's given you is attached to your figuring this stuff out. And that's why Paul was so loving to write this. and That's why he's giving it to us. So it's super helpful uh, for those of us who are all in process. Hopefully now we're all caught up. Here's one big idea he wanted them to know. It's this. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Father, we pray you'd speak to us through your word loud and clear, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us. God, I pray above all things that anybody who doesn't know you as Savior, anybody who hasn't trusted you and received that that pardon, that forgiveness that comes through knowing you, you draw them to yourself. And for all of us in this journey of faith, walking this walk, God, some of us have have taken some shots. Some of us have fallen down. I pray you just give us the strength to know what our next step should be as we walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love Shark Week. (laughs) There I said it in church. Um, It's one of my favorites. I just love that there's a whole week on the calendar dedicated to these mysterious living torpedoes with fins and teeth that we call sharks. I don't know if I love them more or am more terrified of them, but I can't take my eyes off of them. And I really wanted to, for the preaching of this message or at some point in the series, to bring a shark to church. Because uh, there's a lot of sharks in the book. Some of them aren't real sharks because it's Shark Tank. But there's a lot of sharks in the book, Swipe Right. So I thought it'd be proper and appropriate to bring a shark in. And that is really something you can't easily do, uh, being that our church, Fresh Life, is in Salt Lake City, Utah, and parts of Montana. And we have, you know, Church is joining in from all over the place, so maybe you're in Florida or the Bahamas. We're not mad at you. We're just jealous of you. Um, But where it would be easier to get your hands on a shark? So I did the best that I could. I bought myself a remote-controlled shark. So at this point, I'm going to bring in, uh, I'm calling him Sharky Sharkerton, and he's making his way to the stage. Yeah, that's pretty good. I was in Georgia, and I... I saw this uh, shark in an aquarium. It was a remote-controlled shark. And I pretty much had to have it <laughs> for the normal reasons that it was a remote-controlled shark. <laughs> and how could you not, right? I mean, and now I'm trying to get him to dive, dive, dive. It doesn't really do everything. But now it kind of scares me. <laughs> Doo-doo. Doo-doo. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Come here, little guy. Let's hear it for Sharky Sharkerton. But I'll never forget when I was watching Shark Week a few years ago, and I, I saw a pro, came across a program called The Island of the Mega Shark. And uh, they were talking about great white sharks. This is, of course, a picture of a great white shark here on this balloon. And and they were talking about how you could tell if just from a shark swimming by, uh, if it's a great white, it, whether, whether it's a sexually mature female or not. And the narrator was like, these are sexually mature females. And I wasn't really paying attention because during Shark Week, we just usually just leave it on all the time. and Maybe we watch a little bit or don't. It's just kind of like a, a picture frame on the wall full of sharks. And, and, and when I heard, heard the narrator go, these are sexually mature females. I was like, how the heck does he know that? And it's almost like he could read my mind because he goes, well, you could tell they're sexually mature females because of the scars. And I was like, whoa, hey, it's a little too (laughs) lifelike here. And and, and the narrator, literally, the the exact thing he said next was, you can see that their sides and their gills are a battleground of scars. Now he had my attention. I turned the volume up a little bit more because I thought that was interesting. He said, and this is maybe a little bit crass, he said, it's just a matter of, the males have to hold on somehow because they're floating through the open, open ocean. And I thought, dang, it's not good to be a female shark. That's tough. But, but fortunately, he said, luckily, the female sharks have skin twice as thick as that of the males. And God was gracious to give them skin so thick to deal with all that. All that. I got choked up because I was feeling for her. But, uh, <laughs> but he, said, he, said, uh, he said, the thing is, scars mean sex. Thank you for being a part of my sermon, little guy. Swim free. <laughs> Live a good life. Scars mean sex. Wow. I sat back in the couch, and I, I, just, I was just overcome with emotion. Because I know the show was about fish, but I wasn't thinking about fish anymore. I was thinking about people. Wow. I was thinking about me. I was thinking about how really oftentimes when you see smoke, there's often fire. And a lot of times in this world, when you see scars, somehow, somewhere, sex is often involved. Just thinking about how many kids in America, kids in the world, face the difficulty, the horrors of having been molested. It's a very high number. Something like one out of six boys, one out of four or five girls. Uh, You think about the the rates of of those who have had to face the horrors of forced intercourse, 11.9% of females in America. You think about the fact that 20% of college co-eds experience some sort of sexual assault. And you just think about just person after person, scar, 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 scars often mean sex. Paul here is helping us to understand how this works a little bit. As he's telling us, there's more to sex than just skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. As is written in scripture, the two become one. And as we continue this conversation, and if you're just jumping in now, you're like, dang. This is heavy. And we're having a conversation that oftentimes no one wants to have, especially not in church, where, where we sort of oftentimes we said, as pastors, like to answer questions that no one's asking. Meanwhile, the real issues that devastate our lives and our homes and our, our marriages go unspoken to. And so we're making sure to take some time to open up this book which has a whole lot to say about our lives, the pleasure and the pain, all of it, the whole gamut, every valley low and mountain high. And we're letting God speak to us so that we wouldn't just living in this left, right world that we do, do what people say we should do, do what we feel like we should do, but that we would instead look up and live right, that we would swipe (laughs) right in God's sight. And I want to take some time to sort of expose and shine some light on three lies about sex that you might have been told. And the first is that sex is just a physical activity. If you take notes in church, jot these down. Three lies about sex that for sure come at us at times from culture, from entertainment. Oftentimes, without even knowing it, we're, we're living out of lies about sex. But God's word tells us. Sex is more than just a physical activity. But isn't that kind of like what is pushed at us at every, every possible turn? Sex is physical. It's just biological. It's just an appetite. It's just what you do with your body. And that, for millennials and younger, is more and more the world view on sexuality. I read this Rolling Stone article where they're interviewing, you know, people in their twenties, teenagers. One twenty-nine-year-old said, "It's just like kissing, sex. It's just two bodies touching. It, it, it's, it's meaningless. It, 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 there's there's no, no impact." And uh, and and that's quite honestly, quite refreshingly, what was communicated in a song that was big on the radio when I was in middle school, uh, in high school. It was, it was a song by the Bloodhound Gang. And the lyrics went like this. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's just do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. You know, the idea is that we're all just animals. We're all just smart mud, monkeys wearing pants. So it's just this physical thing that we do. But of course, deep down, we don't believe that because when someone acts like an animal and grabs onto the back of any shark they feel like grabbing onto, whether they like it or not, we are outraged. We are incensed. Why? Because we've been given more, so we know better. We know deep down. We've been made, like the Bible says, whether we would express it in these words or not, in the image of God. And we are not just animals. We hold ourselves to a higher standard. But what possible evolutionary uh, benefit would there be in developing a conscience? In the animal world, is kill or be killed. Just, just do what you do. It's survival of the fittest. So the idea of morality, the idea of this is right and this is wrong, there would be absolutely no benefit to evolving such a thing. It's because it's been hardwired into us, this conscience. We just understand deep down there is a right and there is a wrong and that there is something outside of us that, that is higher above us. And, uh, and his name is God. And he's revealed himself to us in the name of Jesus. And he has so much for our lives that is better than what our baser instincts or our sinful nature or what the world around us would try and press into us by way of value and perspective and outlook. And, and let me tell you something. Sex is more than just physical. It, is, it, is, it involves you on the deepest possible level. And what this means is that your heart is involved. And we said a key scripture to consider for the whole series is guard your heart with all diligence. This is in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring forth the issues of life. And since what you do with your body connects with your heart, and what happens in your heart impacts your whole life, we must be very careful what we do with this gift of sexuality. And that's why God not only gave it to us but told us how to use it. He invented it. We think like, Oh, I got this great idea of sex. I was like, I have the schematics for it from when I invented it. I have the patent hanging on my wall from when I decided it was going to be a thing. I gave it to you. I know how to use it. And Paul referred to it in 1 Corinthians 6. It's Genesis. It's a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, a.k.a. the marriage bed. So what Paul's saying is, I know you're going to this prostitute. I know you're hooking up over here. I know you've got this thing going over there. You've got this ch- chick over here, this guy over there. I know this is happening in this orgy here. But let me tell you something. There's more that's happening than what you can see. On an invisible level, things are happening because the two, he warned, they become one. You're triggering a union on the inside, but it's not this lifelong covenant under God's eyes with this person that you're being becoming one with. It's just this hook up for a moment. It's just this hit it and quit it from Tinder. It's just this quick interaction. It's this casual encounter. It's this person that you're just hooking up with just for a little bit, just, just was, was, was a little bit bored. So the, the booty call here, this person over there, and you think you're walking away from it. But on the inside, what no human could see, what no microscope could find, there's something that has happened to your soul on the deepest possible level, it impacts you. And this informs how we communicate. Because quite honestly, a lot of times, anytime there is communication, it's often just don't. We've said when the church isn't ignoring the subject, they're, 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 oftentimes pastors are just like given the thou shalt nots. And you don't do this. And, and why? Because God said so, <laughs> right? You'll get an STD. You'll shoot your eye out, right? And you, you, someone's going to get pregnant, right? And, but, and, and those are real issues. I mean, in the United States, we lead the world in teen pregnancy. And we're living in a day when 28%, according to the World Health Organization, 28% of sexually active adults in the world have herpes, and where 40% of college coeds in America have HPV, the human papillomavirus, the most con- common and the most contagious of all sexually transmitted diseases, which oftentimes gets contracted in the throat and oftentimes leads to throat cancer. Why in the throat? Because oral sex is so much safer than, than regular intercourse. Or is it? And this, so those are perfectly meaningful things to bring up, and there are issues that need to be faced, but I don't think it's deep enough. Why? Because even if no one gets a sexually transmitted disease, even if no one gets pregnant, there's still an impact in your heart. There's still an impact in your soul. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. It's as much spiritual mystery as it is physical fact. And listen to me very carefully. When you engage in sex outside of God's plan, it makes it more difficult for you to enjoy it inside. God's plan. C.S. Lewis remarked on this when in A Mere Christianity, he wrote, the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all the other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. There's just so much more to it. And when you isolate just this physical experience, just this pleasurable part of it, this piece of it, because it brings a burst of joy, this illicit moment of something, you're isolating it from what he was meant to be a part of. And so what that can do is make it difficult then when you decide, well, now I want to enjoy the whole enchilada. Now I want to have all of this. What happens is you can be numb in the place to the things that you're now going to try and activate because you've been ignoring those parts of it by just focusing on this one little piece. He called that a monstrosity. Paul said the same thing when to the Corinthians he continued in this chapter and said in verse 17, that since we want to now become spiritually one with the master, meaning walking close with him, abiding with Jesus as believers, we mustn't pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, i.e. the plan that he gave the marriage bed. He said that will leave us lonely, more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never truly become one. You see, what you're doing when you glue your heart to someone for a night, for a weekend, for a fling, for a bit, and then tear it apart, And then glue your heart to someone and tear it apart. And glue your heart to someone and tear it apart. You're doing so with sexuality, because sexuality triggers that union. You're teaching yourself how to respond to sexuality. That it's something you can just glue and and, and undo. Glue and undo. Glue and undo. Then when you finally then say, well, now this is going to be my life partner. Now this is going to be the person I'm with forever. Your heart, it's learned by habit to hook up and to break up and to hook up and to break up. And, and, and sex is like a, a sticky note. The more times you stick it, the less sticky it becomes. And he's saying it'll make it very difficult, not impossible, very difficult to achieve that oneness that is meant for there to be because of the residue on your heart from all the times you've applied it in a frivolous way. So, so get this. If you hear anything out of this message, first big idea to lie, sex is just a physical activity. There's a second. Jot this down. This is kind of commonly thought. I know I've, I for sure have fallen into this line of thinking. And it's this. I can do what I want and have what God wants. Uh, Go with me. This is the idea that says, I, I can be over here now doing what I want in this moment, but and experience what God wants for me later. I, I want to have my cake, but then I want to eat it Two, I want to get the best of both worlds. I want to give in to my impulses. I want to live like my friends do. I want to live like like culture says I should. But then I also want what God wants for me. And I think we would never put it quite so bluntly, but that's sort of what we're hoping for. And it's, it's, it's maybe because we've had people say stuff like this to us. Uh, you know, when you're young, you just got to have fun. Sow your wild oats, right? You know, to go find yourself. Uh, that's terrible advice, right? All of it. But, or, or, or here's one. Just get it out of your system. Just get it all out of your system. You know, you have all of your life to be married. You have all of your, you'll get that ball and chain attached to you one day, and it's going to just be horrible. So, so right now, you know, and this is maybe spoken by just people who are not walking in God's best, who are trying to live vicariously through years of sin, having no idea what they're actually doing for us. They're helping us recreate the steps that led to them being dysfunctional where they are today. Newsflash, people you know whose marriages haven't worked, it might have fallen apart because of things they did before they ever met each other. And they got to each other. Now they were actually perfectly paired. They were ready for it. And they're like, why didn't it work out? They were so good together. It had nothing to do with that. It had things to do with what they did before that ever even even happened. Can I I break that down a little bit for you? The, The enemy wants you to think, I can do what I want now and have what God wants for me over here. I can do all this, but then over here not be who I would become by doing those things. But the truth is, you lug what you load. You lug what you load. It would probably be helpful at this point in the message for me to explain to you why I've been preaching this sermon off of a smart cart loaded with suitcases. And you were probably so distracted by the fact that I had a flying shark on stage a moment ago, you, you forgot even to, to, to remember to ask later on, like, why has he been this time using a pulpit made out of bags? Well, that's because the Bible tells us this. It's the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. It says, every man must shoulder his own pack. Every man must shoulder his own pack. Every woman must shoulder his own pack, meaning we have to live with the decisions that we make. And these things, over time, they add up. You lug what you load. Now, every single church listening to this message, everybody, everybody we got to participate here. Quick question anybody find themselves ever in a trip situation where you're traveling and you brought too much luggage? Show of hands, anybody? Okay, let me ask you this question. Whoever has been with 20 people in line behind them in the queue at the airport, on the scale, flustered person standing behind the counter, quickly shoving things from one suitcase to another suitcase to try and get below the 50-pound cutoff so you don't pay $94,000 to get your bag to where you're trying to go. Not me. I've never done that. Uh, False. A lot of times, Um, I don't know what it is. I'm there in my bedroom, and I got my uh, suitcase open on the bed, and I'm I'm thinking. And it's like always, like three in the morning. Why why do we always wait to pack till like it's way too late? Anybody? Anybody? Is that you? You're a procrastinate, a a procrastinator. I'm a pro I just invented a word. And, uh, and so I got my suitcase out and I'm thinking through the trip. And then I'm like, Siri, how cold is it going to be and wherever I'm going? I'm like, ooh, it's warm there. That's nice. Oh, I'm going to need my flip flops, right? And says, you're thinking through all these scenarios. And like when you're packing, you'll always think through the most ridiculous scenarios. Oh, what if I have to go to the roller skating rink? I'm going to need my roller skating shorts, right? Like, what are you even talking about? Do you have roller skating shorts? I don't. But I could bring these. They'll work. Like, like, oh, it always seems like these scenarios are in my head. Like, uh, there's such a solid plan for bringing all this. And then, of course, you, you, you end up packing a bag, and, and, and now you've got to carry the thing. And so it is in life. What do I mean? Oh, I mean. You know, you're invited during your sophomore year in high school. Some friends are all going to to Panama, you know, city, and you're, you're a couple of days at the beach. And and there's there's man, those daiquiris there are huge. And, and you end up with, it's like waking up in this hotel room. And who are these people? And honey, where are my pants? <laughs> Goes in the back. And you think about whatever happened. Uh, grad night. That that's going in the box. And and. and Oh yes, there was that conference that you went to, and uh, you yeah, there was a few drinks. And there was a few mm, can't remember quite how many people. And you think about in life all the decisions we're making in the moment. You think about Mardi Gras and there were the beads and there was there was that guy at the gym and yep he he was hot and he flirted and you changed numbers and and yeah he, he he's going in the box as well as the trip to Vegas. And, and and all of the all the decisions that we make, these things they, they slowly but surely the, that cheer, cheerleader was her name Tiffany, don't remember, she was blonde. And the romance novels, I got The Hunter here, fifty five percent of paperback book sales are romance novels. This one's called Take Me Cowboy. And um, it, it's written by someone named Maisie Yates. When I first saw it, I thought I thought it said Tasty Mates. i but it would work too. <laughs> If you're a romance novel writer, just give me royalty on the title. And uh, you think every, everything we do, everything we see, I'm, I guess my phone has to go in there, too, because of all the images, all, of, all the videos, everything that we choose to do in a moment we're living. But it's not just relationship type stuff. It's, it's the credit cards, and then the credit card we shifted the balance to on the credit card. Oh, and what's in your wallet? Debt is in your wallet. And, and, and all of these decisions, well, what are we doing? We're getting, we're getting it out of our system, or are we? Are we actually, like the Bible would have us to know, getting it into our system? Why is that? Because Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 tells us very, very clearly. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, the same he will also reap. And now I'm going to the altar, and I'm going to get married. And I'm standing next to Mrs. Wright. And I'm hopefully standing next to Mr. Wright. And I'm making these decisions. And I'm bringing myself into this relationship, into this union. But guess what I'm bringing with me? Every single thing I chose to do. Because we lug what we load. And it gets heavy and heavier and heavier. Listen to me very carefully. You can't just do what you want and then experience life as God wants it for you eventually because we can't outlive our decisions. And we will find ourselves in the future being who we slowly became one decision at a time. You cannot sow death and reap life. You cannot sow sin and reap blessing. As a believer, saved by God's grace, you can't enjoy his best as you're actively choosing to bring and compound the choices that the enemy wants you to make. He's the one whispering into your ear, you can do this now and just say sorry later. You can just do this now and eventually opt out and it'll be like it never happened. Why? Because he wants to trick you into living a life that's all but impossible for God to bless. He wants you to go to heaven if you're already saved with a saved soul and a wasted life. He doesn't want you out on the battlefield living this life that God destined to be a life of impact. So he's trying to trick you to live for the trivial. He's trying to, 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 It gets you to live for things that are superficial so that you won't walk in the blessing that God has for you. It's a lie you've probably been told. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but it all comes home with you. Scripture says you can't walk on hot coals and not get blisters. It's a lie about sex that you can do what you want, but then also experience all that God wants for you to experience. I got one last point, and uh, then we're going to pray, and we're going to end this time together. We're going to pick up this, this this conversation next weekend. But the last thing I want to say is, is, is a lie is this. I've already messed up, so there's no hope for me. That Some of you might be feeling right now. Oh, man, hearing, hearing this, it all makes so much sense. I just wish you had told me this earlier. Which, quite frankly, is honestly what's driving the book, driving this series. I, I just can't stand the thought of one day meeting you and have you be able to tell me, if you knew this, why didn't you tell me? That's why I said I feel like it would have been sin for me not to write this. But, but you might be feeling, well, why didn't you write it earlier? Why didn't you write it 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Why, why, why? I wish I would have known this when. I wish I would have known this back then. And you might be feeling right now such a sense of hopelessness. And that's why, quite frankly, I, and it's well intentioned but i think sometimes the dialogue on these things is mis mis routed because it's it's almost built like an all or none thing cuz we focus so much on virginity so much on Virginia's V-card thing. We, 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 we in the church rightly want to praise this idea of a person who's waited to have sex until they're married and how blessed that is and how wonderful that is. And that's fantastic for those of you who haven't made any decisions. But what about those who have? And you say, OK, well, here am I. I, I, what, do I what, what can I do? I already gave my V-card away. So I've already messed up. So there's no hope for me. And what I want to say to you is that if there was hope for the Corinthians and Paul wanted to encourage them, there's hope for you too and you can't change your past, but that doesn't mean you can't give God your present, and your present will become a new past. No, you can't unsew what you've sown. The things you've sown, it's gonna continue to come out of the ground, but you know what? You can start to sow something new, and eventually you'll reap life too, and God will bless you. That's why Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I just want to speak over you that no matter what decisions you made that you wish you could take back, Jesus is going to carry you. And if he carries you, he carries what you're carrying too. So come to Jesus and he'll give you strength. And with his blood upon the things in your life you wish you could take back, you'll find new power because where the spirit of Jesus is, there is freedom and whom he sets free shall be free indeed. So come on, shout if you believe it's true that God is gonna make sense of your mess. Come on, chains they fall. Fear it has to bow. Here now. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this teaching from the Swipe Right series. And if during that message you made a decision to give your life to Christ, we just wanna say congratulations. And if you go to freshlife.church, you can go up and click the No God tab. Fill out the information there, and we would love to send you some resources that's got a Bible and some other stuff in it just to kind of help you in these next steps in that relationship. And if your life has been impacted in any way through Fresh Life, we would love to hear about it. So on that Know God tab, just click the Share Your Story link. Let us know what's been going on, and those stories are like jet fuel for our team here and for the Fresh Life family. If God has worked in your life through Fresh Life and you want to partner with us financially, All you have to do is click the Give tab, and you can fill out the information there and either set up recurring giving or uh, just give a one-time gift. Thank you so much for joining us for this message, and we will see you next week.